Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines, the podcast. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. This week, I will be interviewing Gigi Langer, an author and alcoholic in recovery. We'll get to that shortly, but let's get some quick podcast updates out of the way and some good news, of course, before I give Gigi a proper introduction. There are two more states where we've found listeners in the last week or two, those states are Tennessee and Rhode Island. Um, I don't think I know anybody in either state, but I do have a fondness for uh, Memphis, uh, the Memphis Blues and Barbecue and uh, Graceland. Anyway, uh, that's now 35 states in our nation's capital, along with 14 countries around the world where people are listening. And I'm incredibly grateful to each and every one of you. Anyway, if anyone else has been listening and learning, please remember to rate, review, and follow Between the Lines of the Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help support my mission to spread, spread kindness, positivity, and hope, uh, along with destigmatizing addiction, please click the Support the Podcast link at the end of the episode notes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or about my book, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please drop me an email at betweenthelinesmemoir at gmail.com. But more important than anything else, thank you all for listening today. This week, as I just mentioned, I will be interviewing the author, Gigi Langer. But before we get to that, this is the good news. Good news. In a week that included another mass shooting, the 601st in America this year, I decided to bring you a little more good news than usual. I've got three stories for you today. Can't hurt, right? The first story this week comes from NBC News, who reported that the FDA approved the first drug to delay the onset of type 1 diabetes. There are nearly 2 million people in the U.S. that have type 1 diabetes, including my partner. And as I've learned over the last few years, it is a scary disease that has potentially very scary outcomes. Um, but if managed and monitored properly, um, you know, it can, you can, people with diabetes, type 1 diabetes can live happy, healthy lives. But it is a real task, um, to say the least. Anyway, this is good news indeed. The second good news story, story comes from the AP News, who reported that Slovenia has elected liberal rights advocate Natasa Perk Musar as its first woman head of state. Way to go, Slovenia. Maybe the U.S. will soon catch on to this encouraging trend that seems to be happening in other countries all around the world. Our final good news story this week also comes from the AP News, who reported Bill Gates' announcement that the Gates Foundation will spend $7 billion to improve health, gender, gender equality, and farming in Africa. You heard that right, $7 billion American dollars. Here's to someone using their substantial power, influence, wealth, and resources to make a real and sustainable difference in the world. And that was the good news. Now let's get to the interview already. So, my guest today is Gigi Langer. Gigi holds a PhD in psychological studies and education and an MA in psychology, both from Stanford. I've heard of it. But more impressive than any number of degrees from Stanford is the fact that she wrote a book. Actually, I have heard it said that only the brightest minds are capable of such a feat. Uh, but I don't let that get to my head, and I'm sure Gigi is just as humble. Gigi's book is called 50 Ways to Worry Less Now, 
and it is a real diamond in the rough of the self-improvement literature world. And I'll tell you why. Gigi's wisdom and guidance in this book is based on a lifetime of the most relevant experience I could imagine. I can't imagine many people more qualified to teach us all how to reject negative thinking um, and to find peace, clarity, and meaningful connections in our lives. I will let Gigi really get into the weeds of her story, but I do want to give you a, a few quick details just so you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Gigi was married and divorced three times by the time she was 39. And now she's been happily married to her fourth husband for more than 30 years. I'm guessing she figured out more than a few things in that time. Gigi has also struggled with chronic pain for 15 years uh, earlier in her life, including a, a two year struggle with frozen shoulders. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It is no joke. And I can relate, believe it or not, more on that later. Um, and if that's not enough for one person, Gigi also suffered with anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem due at least in part to a dysfunctional family environment and some trauma she suffered uh, early in her life. But she has healed those wounds and forgiven those who have hurt her. Lastly, but maybe most relevant, to many of my listeners, um, Gigi was dependent on drugs and alcohol for many years and suffered the same kind of damage to her life and relationships that many of us are familiar with. But she's been clean and sober for more than 30 years now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that is no small feat. This is all to say that Gigi has been there and done that and learned and evolved and recovered. She's been living her best life for years, it sounds like. There is a thing we say in AA when we meet someone like Gigi. We say, I want what she's got. Anyway, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let's find out how she did it. Welcome to the podcast, Gigi. How are you feeling today? Great, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. And what a nice introduction. Gosh, I'm glad <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been really looking forward to this and I've had a great time reading your book and uh, it's certainly given me more renewed hope even, uh, which I feel like is uh, the, the two of us have similar strategies with, with hope and, and gratitude being uh, you know, central to it. So uh, I find a lot in the book um, to, uh, that is useful to my recovery and just my life in general. Um, but before I get into too much, I do want to talk about your frozen shoulders. Um, this, this might not be interesting to anybody else in, in, in my audience, but I want to talk about it anyway. Uh, so about three years ago, I, you know, like a freak injury, I broke both of my shoulders and dislocated them, uh, like a posterior dislocation. So not the way you like see them on TV where you pop them back in, uh, and it was misdiagnosed and all this and say, so anyway, Three years ago, my shoulders are still dislocated and they will be forever unless I have some like crazy double shoulder replacement surgery. But um, I now can do things uh, without almost everything without much pain. I've done all kinds of stretches and exercises and I've just adapted really. Um, but I know how hard it is to have uh, limited or useless shoulders. Um, I had a uh, several months stint where I was like washing my hair with salad tongs because I couldn't reach my my head and having my kids help me put my shirt on uh, but it really gave me like this appreci appreciation for the use of my arms uh, and for dealing with pain anyway so what's your, the quick version of your shoulder uh, your frozen shoulder story oh man you know it, it started <clears throat> excuse me about a year after my father had passed away um and I'd been sober about 10 years, but I, and I'd been a jock, you know, I skied and competed in tennis and horses and all this and never been uh, disabled really. And one day I'm just grabbing something out of the mailbox and my shoulder hurts, you know, and then it, it just cascaded from there. And uh, it's, it's, you know, there's a technical name for it, but basically you can't raise your shoulder above your your arm above shoulder 
level. I remember the, I had to have my hair cut really short. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't discover the tongs, you know, good idea. Uh, but I, and it, it's accompanied by significant pain. Yeah. And of course, I was in recovery, so I wasn't going to take any opioids or any or benzos or anything like that. So I, I, boy, it really got me humble, got me on my knees, mm -hmm. I, and I had to go to my higher power and um, accept help from people and not rely on my body to be my source of uh, strength. It was really humbling. I did discover in that it went on for about two years. I did later have surgery, just a simple rotator cuff where right. they take the bone spur off. And now it's every it's fabulous. You know, I be a little careful at times. But um, the point was, the I, you know, when we go through a difficulty like that, it's probably true for you too, Jay, um, because we're going to meetings, we have our support system, we're you know, in my case, praying and meditating, boy, was I praying and meditating mm -hmm. my ass off because mm -hmm. I couldn't get away from this pain, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just, someone mentioned Pema Chodron, who's yeah, a Buddhist her. nun, yeah. if you've ever listened. Oh, yeah. She wrote, um, when things fall apart, which is fabulous, but you know, I had never heard of it and someone suggested, and it was like exactly the thing I needed, this idea of being present with ourselves while we're struggling and hurting and, and, and so on and observing it and having some distance. It was just really, really helpful. And so pretty much the whole book is situations where I might say I had my ass in a sling, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> right. something was happening in my life that uh, was scary or painful or uncomfortable. And I had to get humble. And then because I was still connected with uh, recovery, just the right tools came into my life to help me through that challenge. Yeah. And so that's pretty much how the book emerged. You know, gee, look, I've just covered all these tools. Maybe I could put them in a book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, and I will, I'll include uh, Pema Chodron in the, a couple of books in the episode notes too. That's like, I first started reading her while I was in, in rehab and, uh, and the books are all over in recovery. They, they're like, you know, they're not, they weren't meant for people in recovery only, but they certainly become useful uh, to a lot of us. Um, she's, she's amazing. Um, so I'll, I'll include that too. All right. Well, enough about our shoulders. Uh, let's get a little deeper into the book. So uh, actually, before we get too much, like in specific questions about the book, I guess I want you to take us because uh, most of the, uh, you know, the book is about more than uh, addiction and recovery. But, uh, you know, a lot of my audience, that's uh, th that's the, the big, our, our main struggle. Um so if you could just take us through your journey with drugs and alcohol and eventually into healthy recovery, that would be great. So you can, you know, start wherever you want. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously only talk about whatever you're comfortable discussing, um, but just go ahead and get, get into it. And uh, I guess, how, how did it all begin? Well, yeah, I was 36 years old. I had just completed my degree at Stanford. Um, I had had a pattern you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family um, with alcoholism and so on, really, a you know, serial romantic relationships, some living with for two or three or some marriages. But basically, by the time I was 36, I was um, in my third marriage mm -hmm. and I had moved to Michigan. And I was going out at night when and I didn't have anybody that I knew in Michigan. So my husband was traveling. And within nine months of marrying him, I started going out to bars and picking up strangers because I didn't have a connection with marijuana. Mm -hmm. And marijuana was my main. Um, that's how I got through grad school at night to to you know, what the hell am I doing with all these smart people at Stanford? You know, <laughs> the anxiety. Syndrome, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, you know, then it just, I did it a few times and then I thought, what the hell is wrong with this picture? Um, 
and I, I mean, who can ignore the evidence, right? So mm -hmm. even me in denial. <laughs> so I went to a psychologist uh, and I, the first one I lied to and didn't say how much I was drinking or anything. The second one had had another couple of episodes that really got my attention. And the second one said, well, you're in the early stages of alcoholism and uh, you know, from your family history and the behavior and I said, oh, that's not so bad, you know, and um, he said, if you if you want to know if you really have a problem, try having two drinks, no more, no less every day. And I thought that was really weird because my drinking and drinking and sexing was not binging, but episodic. You know, I would get into a a state, especially in the spring, you know, I'd want to have some adventure <laughs> yep. and I would go out seeking it regardless of whether I was married or not, you know? So, um, I couldn't say that I drank every day or, you know, I was a little concerned about the marijuana, but in Michigan, I didn't really have a marijuana connection. So, except for when I went to bars. So anyway, I did the experiment. He suggested, thank God I lived through it for six months because um, what I discovered was sometimes I could have two drinks and stop. And I, you know, mostly beer, wine. I never drank a lot of hard, hard liquor. So when I did his experiment, I realized over six months that sometimes I would go and have two drinks and want to close down the bar and pick up a stranger and so on. And other times I'd have two drinks and just stop. And it didn't matter whether I was at home or it mm -hmm. just, so I had to look at the pattern. You know, I was an educational researcher, so I was trained to look at patterns. You know, it's pretty right. obvious. If I had one drink, I was likely going to do something that was very harmful to myself or someone else. So that's, and I was still with this therapist because I did feel genuinely crazy Mm -hmm. um, being in this third marriage and doing this. Plus I had started my career in academia. So I had all the pressure of, you know, being a new professor and all that. So thank God for that, uh, therapist, because then, and, and I, unbeknownst to me, my third husband was going to Al-Anon. He knew about the disease. His father had been in recovery, but he did, he didn't ever talk to me about it. And I don't know if it was a higher powered thing or what, but one night we're having dinner out and a beer. And he said, what would happen if this were your last drink? And I just heard it loud and clear. And so I'm very grateful to him, even though our marriage did not last uh, for, you know, being that gentle intervention. I went to a meeting. This is 1986. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's, a meeting, you can imagine AA then, it's, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of older men, a lot of smoke in the room. Oh, yeah. And I walk, <laughs> I walk in and I totally related. Mm -hmm. That's what was so amazing. These people were so different from me, but they were exactly in the same place in terms of the hopelessness, the crazy behavior, the inability to control it. It was like, oh, man, here's the lifeline. And the next day I went to another meeting and there were women there. And so, you know, I got to meet some women and, and it, it didn't have smoke all around. It. Right. But what I really loved was that they gave me their phone numbers, but they did not ask for mine because I had been in a couple of other Christian groups where they were chasing me. Yeah. You know, they got my phone number and kept, and I, and I, boy, you know, I didn't like that at all. So. I was freaked about the God language at first. Um, I just hadn't been able to become a Christian the couple of times I tried, but I had a sense that there was something bigger than me, but I, I didn't like the, um, the rules they set for how to become a Christian. Right. Yep. <laughs> and of course I was, you know, drinking and playing around with sex. And so, you know, why would I? <laughs> and but when, you know, when they said, you know, a, a God of your understanding, and I just kind of choked it down when they said the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I had actually learned it earlier in my life. Um, and, and eventually I met some people who took me to a unity church. It's not Unitarian, but it's unity. It's a very mm -hmm. 
loving teaching about God. And, and this particular minister in Detroit uh, also was in recovery. Oh. And so when he talked about spiritual things, uh, for the first time, my, as I <laughs> say in my book, my bullshit detectors did not go off. Right. I could hear him. And I could look beyond the word God or, you know, I, I, I was able to suspend disbelief, to, mm -hmm. you know, quit the debating club and figure, I mean, you can't go to meetings for very long without noticing there's something going on. And I thank God didn't have to, thank God didn't yeah, have right. to name it um, <laughs> and didn't have to define God. You know, now I can use the word and I know that many people are very open to many interpretations of it. So it was a relief to me to, to see that, you know, when they said there's something greater than my own dysfunction, but also my own fear, my own stress, my own anxiety, you know, eventually that became, I stayed sober. I got a sponsor after six months, we worked the steps and that was really, really helpful. So I, I was clinging very close to the program and my female supports, which allowed me to be in that third marriage and not leave the minute I wanted to, mm -hmm. which I had done in all the others. <laughs> so we, you know, we did therapy together. I stayed with them a year, blah, blah. And then uh, realized this was not uh, who I wanted to be with the rest of my life. And then I stayed, you know, out of celibate, out of relationships, you know. Like they suggest uh, for us. I don't right? know. My <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe my higher power was saying, well, this is a girl who really needs a man in her life because I met at a meeting my a uh, Peter, my husband, mm -hmm. who's my husband now, and um very slowly got to know him, put a governor on myself. I could not allow myself to see him more than twice a week. Because my old pattern was to make the man my higher power crawl in their back pocket, live there. And, uh, you know, um, by the grace of uh, whatever that higher power thing is, I was able to work through the fears and lots of therapy and be healthy in a relationship, which for me was a miracle. <laughs> yeah, so that's about it. Wow, that is such a, like a, a great story. And you know, like you just said about when you walked in the meetings in 1986 with all these people who don't seem, you know, when you, when you might walk in, you might think, uh oh, I'm in the wrong place. And then you realize, well, I'm in the right place. Um, this happens every time I talk to an addict, alcoholic in recovery is I just, everything you were saying. I was like, yep, yep, yep. You know, and we're in different generations. We, you know, I'm a man, you're a woman, you're in Florida, I'm in Chicago. Um, our stories are different in so many ways, but that the symptoms and the cycle that you just des described are just so real and, and true for me. Um, it, right down to you know your your initial like misgivings about meetings and about the God stuff and the Christianity. I know it's uh, it, it's a much different time now, you know. So I only started you know seven years ago going to meetings, and um, you know a lot changed between 1986 and 2015 uh in, in meetings but still i'm an atheist it gave me it gave me some problems and there's some meetings that i didn't go back to because of some of those things you talked about and the the where i felt like there's some something underneath there that i, I don't feel great about but the good thing about places like detroit or chicago uh there's meetings everywhere all the time and then you know so eventually i just bounced yeah. around until i found the ones that, that i felt more comfortable in um, so wow, what what a what a, a great story! And you're one of those people who did it, and uh, that first time stuck with it, and you've been sober ever since, right? Oh, absolutely, I'm so grateful for that. So grateful. Yeah, that is like you know, yeah, it helped with the higher power thing that I was near Ann Arbor, Michigan, and so in those days, well, and even now, you know, it's a very um, open community, a lot of Native American thing, you know, I, I was able to just explore different ways of thinking about this power mm -hmm. uh, without anybody trying to coerce me into any one belief, which I, I was really grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the places in Michigan to be for that, Ann Arbor is probably the best, <laughs> the best spot, I, I would say. <laughs> uh, no offense to any even listening in, in other parts of Michigan, I suppose. Um, all right. So in a, in a few words, uh, 
how has your life been since you got clean and sober all those years ago? Well, first of all, I don't have to use drugs or alcohol to soothe my frayed nerves and my fears. Um, that is the biggest blessing. Uh, you know, I, I don't even allow myself to like, a, you know, if I have a muscle relaxant for prescribed, uh, you know, if I'm in pain and I can't sleep, then I think it's okay to use it. But I won't use it in the daytime just because I don't like how I'm feeling emotionally. Mm -hmm. That is my line in the sand. I will not take anything that helps me feel better immediately. My only remaining drug is caffeine. Me too. <laughs> but me I only, too. you know, drink that in the morning. They so meet, that's the, the first are, thing. All AA meetings are still full of coffee, just not the cigarettes anymore. Outside. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so obviously being sober, uh, being, I think the biggest thing is the sense of security that I have that is not dependent on any individual person. And it's not even, I mean, I, I can get in touch with a very abstract sense of something uh, bigger than my fears, something wiser than my fears. In my book, I call it a loving power for lack of a better word, but right. it can be you know, uh, a female, you know, it can be anything uh, that makes sense to you that's bigger than our fears. That's, mm -hmm. that's for me is the biggest thing. So where it manifests in my life, which I had no idea because I didn't know how to relate to women. They were competition, right? right. And I, I knew how to relate to men really well. <laughs> I could use my little ways, you know? Uh, so <laughs> getting into recovery and being told that I needed to get a, you know, a posse of healthy women around me, that was like foreign, but just the right women came. That's the thing. You know, if we just walk this walk, these miracles start happening and things we thought we couldn't do happen for us. So I have these now I have, you know, probably three different groups of five to eight women who uh, some we've been meeting once a month for 30 some years wow. and we've shared all kinds of, you know, my sponsor and her sponsees and my sponsees, you know, yes. but here's what's um, the bottom line about that is that I, th I think most of us have this fear, maybe not so much when you're younger, but if the worst of the worst happened, you know, if you, we, our imaginations can spin all been kinds there. of yeah, awful yeah. scenarios right that we think we can't live through, okay? And what I know deep in my gut is that there would be at least a few of those women, even though I'm in Florida and they're far away, some of them would be there with me immediately. Mm. And they would stream love into me when I had lost all hope that there was anything bigger and more loving than this awful thing that just happened. You know, that there, it's just a solid sense in my gut that of security, knowing that that certainty mm -hmm. and that's a very concrete thing, right? It's not some airy fairy, you know, right. it's human. I, I can experience people. that kind. Of, yeah. It's human beings streaming love into me. You know, some people call it God in skin. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is. And that that's, I'd say one of the best things in my life, obviously, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hobbled by fear. I get afraid. Sure. I get tense. I'm prone to anxiety and I might stay in it an hour, two hours a day, but eventually I notice, you know, because they say feel all addictions are feeling disorders. <laughs> yeah. So it takes me a while to realize that something's bubbling. That's why it's so useful going to meetings and talking to my sponsor once a week, because it keeps me in touch. But when I do notice then that I've been scaring myself through my own thinking and how I'm seeing things and that I have a choice about that, then I can use any of these 50 tools to get my head screwed on straight. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a really great point that, that, uh, that we don't sometimes realize there's something bubbling in there. Right. You know, because, you know, that's yeah. part of our, our disease, I think. And that's part of the benefit of going to meetings or having the community and the fellowship is 
Uh, there's other people to help hold you accountable to maybe notice some of the bubbling up before you before you do, uh, which is important instead of just sitting with it yourself, which just makes it bubble faster, maybe or hotter. Um, so uh, thank you uh, for, for sharing all of that. Uh, so many of the people that I've interviewed so far are, you know, like, like I am and are, you know, I would still consider early recovery. Um, and I've been, I've been waiting and hoping to get someone who's got this, uh, this long stint like you have, uh, we know it's hard to get, uh, one day. Um, so, so 30 plus years is something else. So I hope people were listening to some of those things that, that got you where you are, because, um, you know, that, that's, uh, it really is, you know, it's a, it's a life-saving, um, you know, process that uh, and not just save your life but makes it uh, happy and, and worthwhile um i do want to sure. get now into a little more into your book so um i think that the 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 best place to start would be with the with the four strategies that you present in your book so it says 50 ways that's true there are 50 ways uh to worry less now but there's, they're based on these four specific strategies and i think it's really great how you break it down in such a clear in simple way um, for your readers. So can you give us that kind of quick breakdown of those uh, those four those four strategies? Well, I, I must have been about 20 years sober. I'm on an airplane coming home from seeing my mother. This is how the idea came to me. And so much healing had happened in my life and so many dreams had come true. And I, I was just marveling. And I thought, yeah, you know, this is a higher power again, planting that thought. <laughs> I wonder if somehow I could convey some of these ideas and tools for the general public who are not necessarily in a 12-step program. And it would also be helpful for people in 12-step programs. So that I'm sitting on the plane and I'm thinking, could I boil down the 12 steps into something that would be four simple things that anyone could understand? Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, I, people who know the 12 steps will be able to map onto them, but of course, getting honest and not just with other people, but with ourselves. So important. Then the, I do believe some power greater than our own fears and our own intellectual thinking that there's there's a, a tr true self inside of us or uh, something bigger. And that doesn't matter what it is. And I offer various ways, but it basically means I don't have all the answers all by myself. So that's claiming a power. Then the third one is um, making choices. So this is where it's a little different because I got into the law of attraction and affirmations and uh, visioning, which really does happen in the meetings when we read the promises. Mm -hmm. That is a visioning process. It's like, yeah, I want this. So, um, but I don't confine it to that, you know, that you can have, and, and then I describe very specifically how to do the, you know, affirmations and vision boards and so on, because I used that for my own book because I was scared mm -hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know if I could do it yeah, and I, I needed all the power, you know, so <laughs> visioning is, it's another way of streaming power, loving power into our lives. And then the last one is, and the other part of choices is to choose to do the work to have the life that we want. So, you know, that's what we hear in the program, right? Do the footwork, do the footwork. So I call that work, the growth practices that right. we practice using tools. And that really is streaming something other than our fear, something bigger than our fear into us. You know, so the simplest one is, of course, meditation, you know, that we we try to distance ourselves from the fearful thoughts and focus on something else. You know, that's that's just a very basic right. way. One of the 50. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I discovered the 50 through all those life challenges I had faced. And then just the right tools came to me at just the right time. So that's how the four happened. That's great. And then yeah. I had these big sheets. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, yeah. I, it, so when I was when I uh, like started writing my book, I was still in outpatient rehab. I didn't really start writing, I guess. But when I got the idea and kind of like you on the plane, I was actually in a group, like in one of my group meetings. And 
all of a sudden it just started forming. Like I had all this, I think I was thinking about it loosely and all of a sudden it just formed like the, the structure of the book, uh, how I was going to map it out, how I would do it, the title, it all just all of a sudden started coming together. Then I couldn't wait to get it on the paper. And I was doing similar things with the, you know, sticky notes all over the place. And, uh, and then I had this renewed, uh, you know, vision and purpose um, that I think you, you talk about also, um, obviously like, like deciding on a path and committing to it, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not just going to be one of these people who says, I have an idea for a book. Uh, I'm going to write a book someday. Like I, I've said it to enough people. Now I kind of got to do it. <laughs> I, got, I have to do it. And, uh, and it feels really good to, to do that, especially to follow through to the end. Cause another thing that addicts and alcoholics in our addiction often don't do is follow through. We have a lot of good ideas. <laughs> but don't often see them to the end. <laughs> Congratulations on that, by the way. Well, I will um, review it. For, I'll put in a review for you. I'll, oh, I'll you. get it on Kindle. Thank you. Oh, thank yeah. you. Um, so now uh, in the book, after you take us through the strategies and uh, a lot of those 50 ways, um, you you then get into some of the positive outcomes that you've experienced and uh, and and that we uh, can expect to experience. I think if we follow a similar path, like you mentioned earlier, like the promises. So it reminded me right away of, of the promises. Like this is I've mentioned in other episodes. Uh, you know, we all know where to find it in the big book. This what page it is. This is the part where we right away we're like, okay, when's this going to happen? Uh, and then when it does start happening. Uh, it's really uh, powerful, and that's what kind of keeps it, at least is what kept me uh, moving forward once you start seeing some of those things happen. Um, you hit on uh, one in your book uh, in that first chapter after the strategies, uh, which has been an important part of my recovery, um, but really of everyone's, I'm sure, and the chapter is called Healing Our Relationships. Um, can you spend a minute talking about, about that chapter? Well, let's see. Where do I start with that? I think we are so baffled by life as addicts because we started medicating our feelings away and our problem solving opportunities. <laughs> we just pass them up, right? Numb myself out. So we really don't know how to do relationships except in this old, you know, use them, they use me way. In my experience, are we talking like about chapter six where Peter's, we had yeah, the, sure. the <laughs> yeah, okay. Chapter six, I'm halfway through writing my book and Peter, who had been my fourth husband, who'd been sober 20 years, started drinking again. Mm -hmm. And he talked to me about it beforehand. And I would like to have a couple of beers and his thing had been cocaine. He wasn't going to meetings anymore. Um, but he had worked a really strong program, been in therapy. He was a very, I didn't see him being dysfunctional or nasty toward me. And I, I didn't really notice that um, change over time <laughs> mm -hmm. until I found a bottle of vodka in the garage. Yep, the hidden and, bottle. Uh, and that's, I really that's, freaked. That's, yeah, yeah, and we know the signs. It's hard to, hard to trick, trick yeah. one of us, right? I went running to Al-Anon because there's one thing I've learned in recovery. And that is pause. Absolutely. That's you know, my pause. number one. That's my, I, I mean, that's, that's probably the most Action. important thing I've learned in, in, in my recovery is maybe not the most important. It's hard to say, but maybe the, you know, in the top three important things is to pause. Don't react. Don't react yeah. right away. Pause. Yep. And, that's yep. easy, done. and it's a lot easier when you're not uh, using also. Oh yeah. And you know, I, when I got to Al-Anon, one of the things I heard was waiting is an action. Mm -hmm. So whenever, whenever there's an issue in my life, of course, we're, you know, we're people who want to fix it, right? And, and let's admit it, it's me, myself, and I, I want to fix it. So I can feel less anxious and upset. <laughs> you know, right. if we really drill down, we might say it's for the better, best of the other person, but really, let's be honest. So um, I knew that waiting for me, is doing the work. So I had to use my own process. I had to get honest about how terrified I was. I had to claim the same power to somehow fix this. And in, in the 
the third part, the choosing, I had to choose to uh, frame a happy, healthy marriage and leave the wiggle room that it didn't have to be Peter. Mm -hmm. That if that was my higher powers way of working it out, um, that I couldn't dictate how it was supposed to come out, but I could visualize me feeling happy and secure with a safe marriage. You know? right. And so I did vision boards on that and so on. Then most of my growth practices were through Al-Anon. You know, and so all this waiting time, I'm working on me. Yes. And I think that's, that's the misunderstanding that the action is to get my head screwed on straight before I try to deal or fix the situation. Because haven't we learned that when we act out of fear and panic and anxiety, which is our first reaction, of course, yep. when we act from that place, we make everything worse. Yes. So there's, it's, it's spitting in the wind to try to fix it on our own will. We have to step back and then do all the internal. So when I did that internal work, and you'll see in that chapter, this was about, and a big theme throughout the book is that we have these whispered lies that we yeah. tell ourselves that are based on old fears. Well, one old fear I had was men always hurt women. I had watched my father hurt my mother by not coming home for dinner, by being out and not, you know, and watched her worry and be afraid and so on. And I'd seen him yell at her and them fight. So here it was, <clears throat> the one man I thought I could trust, the whispered lies came in and said, he's just like all the others and you cannot trust him. And your home is not a safe place to be. I mean, I, you know, and you know the promise, we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. So what we're waiting for while we do the work is some, even though it may happen in between periods of panic <laughs> and fear, some sense of, okay, a higher power, some wisdom is working here. There is a way to work this out. So I did have an early talk with him about being aware if it escalated, we both agreed, two drinks, fine. Mm -hmm. Then about five months after that, I saw him inebriated after having more than two drinks. And that's what tipped me over. I had been working Al-Anon, but then I really got it terrified. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's when I took a month working Al-Anon, working my side of the street. What mm -hmm. was it about me that made this so terrifying? Okay, it wasn't just that he was drinking. I was very afraid that he'd ruin our finances. Da, da, da. I had to really do the inventory and get down and dirty with God and say, I can't fix this. You're going to take care of me regardless how it comes out. I've got my women around me and I need to have a really honest talk with him from a place where I own my part, but also He's got to own his part. Well, I rehearsed it. I talked with him. I mean, it was really scary because yes. this is not a relationship that's had a lot of conflict, you know, mm -hmm. and he did not like it. I'm sure he did not like it at all. And, uh, oh, that was awful. Then for the first time, I didn't feel safe in my, you know, and I put some of the journaling about that in my book. And then one of the tools I had, well, I came up with the idea of, I, there's a wonderful tool in my book that the guy called radical forgiveness and the guy who created it gave me permission to use an example that he approved of the process. And it's, you know, it's sort of like, you know, in the third step prayer, when we say, relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Well, mm -hmm. how am I going to get believe, you know, relieved of the bondage of self if I don't experience it tightening around me and terrifying me, my self-centered fear. So his frame is these things happen for a reason, not because it was made to happen to punish, but it is an opportunity. This is maybe, you know, who knows if there's karma, what the hell, I don't know. But this <laughs> is a situation where I can either crash and burn or belly up to the situation 
and try to heal my part. And through that process of radical forgiveness, I realized I was pasting my father's face on Peter. Yeah. And once I saw, once I softened my heart to him and he was no longer the demon, we did agree finally on two drinks, no more, no less. He is able to do that. And I transformed. Um, what had baffled me and scared me no longer does. Yes. It's a miracle. It, it's a miracle. I did. It really is. It, yeah. it, 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 it didn't just happen. You know, like you did a lot of work. I think that's the, a big message here is that you did a lot of work to make that happen. You know, and I think that. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's the second one, second time uh, in the interview here where it's like a, another great shout out for Alan on too, you know, so, you know, sometimes the addicts and alcoholics, we kind of make fun of it a little bit like our spouses are over there, you know, what are they teaching them to, to, to how to treat us or something. Um, but we know that it works. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and so many people like yourself are, are, are doing both or have done both, you know, um, because uh, just because we know the steps in our addiction, it doesn't mean we know uh, how to deal with a loved one uh, in that situation. Um, and I think that I've got the messages there are, are so great and so clear about how, how to pause and, and, and do all the work and work on yourself. Um, and I wrote something down uh, that I feel like it needs to be used. It's something you said, belly up to the situation instead of belly up to the bar. You know, we usually belly up to the bar you're bellied up to the situation and handle it. That's like I feel like there's a poem in there I need to write somewhere about bellying up. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. Uh, appreciate that um, uh, that story uh, very much. Uh, so then the final chapter before you get to the appendix is which which uh, where you go through your um, some sort of resources and um and some kind of worksheets almost like a workbook near the end too that that's very helpful but the last chapter before that is called reaping the rewards peace clarity and connection and i just love that you boiled it down again like in such a clear and concise way to these like extremely important aspects of a, of a healthy life uh not to mention a, a healthy recovery but just a healthy life that um those three things in particular peace clarity and connection are like the things uh, i guess i'll just speak from my experience the things i really missed the the most in my addiction um three things i had like just more than than than, than anyone could ever want i had more peace clarity and connection than than anyone i've ever met until uh the downward spiral began for me and then they were gone and the, and, and it really helped me realize uh you know in reading your chapter about how like I, I hadn't thought of describing him with those three words. So I guess what I'm asking is uh, like, where do those words come from um, in your story or, or, or uh, you know, why did you choose those three words, peace, clarity and connection to, to finish up your book? They do describe what I'm, what I've been seeking. You know, I, I study a course in miracles. I think at some point we need to really dig into an 11th step spiritual study of our preferred tradition. Uh, and what that particular one teaches me is that love is love trumps fear. <laughs> There's, you know, so the, the peace of mind is our natural state from our true self. And uh, my mind is what's scaring me. So, and I have, I have control over my mind. That's the big revelation. Mm -hmm. I have control over what I think about and I can decide not to scare myself <laughs> by changing my thinking. So in the peace, I can, I can find peace. It might take me days. It might take me weeks, depending on the situation, but I can find a peace of mind, which basically is all is well, this is going to work out. And sometimes I talk about it as uh, realizing that there's a perfect order to things. Because when we look back, anybody listening to this and you, you can look back and see some shit storm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then being in recovery, this happened and that happened and this happened. And we can look back, it's as if a perfect mosaic was being laid to heal. 
we can't see it during the time. We think it's going to last forever an awful way. But it, after we've been through enough of those and look back, we can trust, oh, everything's in perfect order, even though it doesn't look like it. That, that's peace of mind for me. Then the clarity is that wisdom from our true self, the, you know, intuitively knowing how to, the, the wisdom that just like you had that desire to write your book, that's a, a clarity, a, a dream mm -hmm. coming out, you know, the best of us coming out to guide us. And then the connection, obviously, is we can't do it alone. Yeah, we can't. We have to be connected with love in some way. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. They came. I, I have to say, I never could write anything that seemed to work unless I did some kind of uh, meditation beforehand. And it wasn't any one kind. It might be a guided meditation from one of the online things or praying. Even before this, I get on my knees and say a prayer. So those that's how those things come, right? I mean, it's grace. It's a gift that we've yeah. cleared ourselves from fear enough to let the channel open. And our growth practices keep that channel open, you know, doing the inventories, praying and meditating, da -da 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 -da, service, you know, that keeps that channel open. And then we can receive loving inspiration and give love. I think that's maybe what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to agree. Um, yeah, I think the clarity part, you know, you think about uh, an easy way maybe to talk about it with someone who uh, hasn't battled addiction or, or, or other things similar is that it's like a fog clearing. And so in active addiction, I was, and I think this is obviously pretty common, obsessed with, with my drug of choice, with finding it, using it, covering my tracks, coming up with the lies, you know, de dealing with all those things or, you know, trying to survive basically uh, that, uh, and then when you stop and you get into healthy recovery, that opens up a whole lot of space in your head and in your life and, and the, the effects of the drugs and the withdrawals and the drinking are gone. And now, you, oh my God, what am I capable of? If I had worked that hard, as hard as I worked at my addiction, if I had worked that hard at anything else in my life, you know, I, I'd be, you know, running some giant um, non-for-profit uh, organization saving the world uh, because it's really hard work. And then all of a sudden you have it and then you realize, oh, I can do so much more. And it's clear and the, it allows the ideas to come in and then to express them and to follow through and stuff like that that I've said. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, like like I said from the beginning, it's like you're you're uh, you're speaking my language all, all the way through. And I, and, and I really appreciate it. Um, okay so uh, uh i want to get to our last couple of things here um that i try to do with all of my my guests uh the first one is your chance to be an influencer you've already been an influencer of me uh but i'd like you to, to uh tell my audience about something um that you've been reading or listening to or watching lately that you would recommend to them i have to recommend recommend my spiritual path, which isn't for everybody, but it's um, a course in miracles. The It's a kind of a mysterious, complex text. Uh, however, uh, uh, the easiest way to wade into it to the main idea, which is at any moment we can choose love over fear, uh, is Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love, which has sold tons of copies. And also uh, the recovery writer, Karen Casey has written, well, the she's re-releasing her daily meditation book, which is for recovering women, which is each day a new beginning. Mm -hmm. But she also has some wonderful books about Al-Anon and especially two about A Course in Miracles that are just simpler way to wade into it. But it really helps with the fear and the anxiety. So I would recommend that there are study groups in unity churches. They're all over. You can join them. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Those are, those are awesome. And I'll include those in the notes too, for anybody who wants to check those out. Um, I really appreciate that as well. So, uh, and the last thing that we uh, always do on the podcast, and this isn't just because um, Thanksgiving is in a, in a couple of days here, but I like to end the interview. Like I tried to end um, all of my days, uh, 
and sometimes to start the days as well with um, some gratitude. So uh, I like uh, to for both of us to like share something that we're grateful for um, today. Um, I'm going to start so I can give you the final word here. Uh, today, uh, I'm especially grateful for, as I was thinking about this morning, for, for new things. I'm grateful for new friendships and new experiences and new challenges, new beginnings, um, new days, clean slates. Uh, you know, in, the, in my journey over the last seven years, uh, it's been a lot of firsts and new things. And uh, at the beginning, I thought sometimes... Uh, like you mentioned, I, my instinct was fear, uh, to fear all these new things. And um, instead, now I welcome them and appreciate them. And I learn from them all. And, uh, you know, think of it as, as a gift in a lot of ways that I get to experience all these new things. Um, and at the uh, ripe uh, young age of, of 48, um, uh, I, I feel pretty lucky that I keep that I get to experience a lot of new things. And um I really appreciate that. So that's something I'm extra grateful for today. Uh, how about you? What do you? What kind of gratitude are you feeling oh, today? That's beautiful. As you were talking, I was thinking about courage. You know, we have curve the the heart, the French word. You know, for courage mm -hmm. is heart. I remember Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I am most grateful because it, this in these weeks I have completed a second book and it is called love more now <laughs> instead of worry less now it's love more now and it's facing life's challenges with an open heart so I'm really writing away from some kind of higher powered you know uh, sense and more that each of us has this uh, divine, well, there's a laden word, but divine spark, a, a true self, I'm calling it, that is good inside of us. And, and that's one of those things I know about myself. Whereas when I entered recovery, I thought it was all shit down in there. <laughs> yep. And in everyone so else. So this too. true self. <laughs> right. Yes. And that we can stream loving energy into our hearts to open our hearts to this true self. But when we remain in fear, in addiction, et cetera, et cetera, and we have closed our hearts and therefore we can't access the wisdom and the courage from our true self. But the way to open our hearts is to stream in all these practices, all these ways of getting love into us to dissolve all the impediments to love that are blocking our hearts and our true selves. So that's what the book's about. And I'm really excited where I have um, people reading it now who are um, critical readers, they yeah. call them beta readers, but anyway, um, and they're commenting on it. And it's, it's just such an exciting place to be. I've been Grateful that I'm keeping the fear at bay, you know, the whispered lies, oh, it's going to be too much. Uh, they might wreck it. If I change it, it will blah, blah. You know, mm -hmm. I've been working a lot with uh, meditation and prayer and um, just trusting the same loving force that has caused this to come about in the first place, you know, yeah. had me running to the computer just like you were, you know, Absolutely. I'm grateful for that. Wow, that's yeah. great. How exciting. And now you're yeah, maybe uh, this conversation is going to inspire my my next idea uh, for, for my next book. Uh, yeah. That's really exciting. And I love the title. I love the connection to the to the first to the other book. So uh, I think that's going to be a, another great success. Um, and I and I feel you on that. Like I, this is one of the things that I, I little posted over here on my table that that um, I remind myself of every day is to to lead with love. And that's something I hear other people say too, but oh, uh, it really, it really like that, the, the first time I heard it and then I put the post-it and I see it every day. And it really, like I find myself in, in interactions during the day, remind myself in my head, the little voice going, lead with love, just lead with love. And how oh, much, it's like kill them with kindness kind of, you know, in some ways it's a similar, similar thought and it really works. So um oh. Thank you so much, Gigi, for being on the podcast today. I hope everybody gets right out there to buy 50 Ways to Worry Less Now and uh, 
will be first in line for the next book about love. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you for, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And please let people know that if you go to gglanger.com, there's a, they can get the book for about half half price. And right. I will ship within the U.S. a, a signed copy, <laughs> personalized. Nice. All right. Yeah, I'll put that in the, I'll put that, uh, yeah. in the, in the notes as well. Thanks Good. again. And uh, let's keep in touch. We'll Good. talk again soon. Now it's time for some thank yous and goodbyes. First of all, thanks again to Gigi Langer for coming on the show and for being so open and honest about her experience and also for dropping some real wisdom on us today. I, for one, feel rejuvenated in my recovery and full of more hope and gratitude than I have felt in a long, long time. So if you too learned something or enjoyed what you heard today, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, it will help us get more listeners and the bigger the audience, the bigger the impact. So that's the goal. Also click the support the podcast link. If you're feeling it also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to share with me, or if you would like to be a future guest on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a note at between the lines, memoir at gmail.com or just spread the word. Tell a friend if you have one, or maybe share your thoughts about the podcast in a tweet or an Instagram post or on Facebook or TikTok, if you uh, can figure out how to do that. But most of all, thanks for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya. <laughs>